Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Exvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. Create one-on-ones your reps will thank you for and use Exvoyant to help your sales managers create unique plans for every rep on your team. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we've got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we feature our first repeat guest. A legend of the Sales Leadership Podcast joins us. Justin Welsh joined us over a year ago as the VP of Sales for PatientPop. At PatientPop, Justin was responsible for, responsible for building the sales system from scratch. He took their team from zero to over $50 million in ARR and built a world-class co- culture along the way. Personally, I'm a huge fan of Justin. Since our first podcast episode, Justin has left and started his own company, helping other SaaS leaders on their individual high-growth journeys. Justin helps sales leaders build processes, personal brands, cultures, and everything a sales leader needs to get right in order to help take their teams to $50 million in ARR and beyond. Justin's a dude that walks his talk. He's done it. He knows what it takes to create a high-growth company and all the challenges that come with it. If you don't follow Justin yet, you will be by the time we finish this episode. Justin, my man, you know I'm pumped to have you back on the show. Welcome, and thank you so much for joining us today. Rob, it's so good to be back, man. Thank you for uh, for having me, and very uh, very humbled to be uh, the first repeat guest. So I really appreciate you uh, making this happen, man. Yeah, dude, you, you were one of, I think you were like episode two or three. You were one of the very first episodes, and, and we still get like, we get so many comments and, and you're one of the most downloaded episodes of all time for us. And everyone loves hearing what you got to do. And why don't you start by updating our listeners with what's happened since you talked to us last? Yeah, I think when, when you and I first connected about a year ago, you know, we, we were on our way to maybe 30 or 35 million in recurring revenue at patient pop. And uh, about five weeks ago, um, uh, I left patient pop and, and I had, I had had a conversation with the founders six months previous to that, um, so this wasn't like a last minute decision, but we had, we had worked together to, uh, for me to transition out. And I spent almost five years there and built a business to, to over 50 million. So it was, it was awesome. It was exactly the way that I wanted to go out and the, exactly the way that I had envisioned transitioning out of patient pop. And I transitioned into, um, a role where I'm building my own consulting and advising firm. And, uh, what I do is I help really two people. I, I help founders and I help sales leaders. And what I'm doing is working with high growth, mostly SMB SaaS businesses to help them with their go-to-market, their sales playbook, their sales process, and really to build a, a similar revenue engine that I built at PatientPop. And so far, picked up some clients in my first month here and having a blast uh, sharing lessons and, and learnings to help them grow as well. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm super excited that you're doing it. I've seen a lot of your stuff. I'm going to plug you a couple times in this episode and you're, you're not on here because it's an, a paid advertisement. You're on here because I think you're one of the elite sales leaders that I know of. And um, Thanks, man. 
your content is something that every sales leader should follow. If you're not following Justin, you need to start following him. And of course, we'll make it uh, make it easy to find your stuff. But why don't we start with with that? I mean, I love your playbook. I love the things that you shared uh, with me, and you've got you know available to a lot of people. As you start looking at these these people that you've landed, and they're reaching out to you for help, and and you know it's a rare breed that you are, Justin. It's not easy to find people that are currently helping others because they did it. So many people that are consultants used to do it and are still trying to teach. You're super, super current. Can you start with, as you work with high velocity sales teams, what are some of those building blocks that they got to have in place if they are going to be serious about having high growth? Yeah, I I think um, the first sort of real building blocks are the people that they have inside of their organization. So the the first thing that I generally do when I sit down with a a new client is we just go over their team. We look at who are the folks on their team from a, a leadership perspective, a marketing perspective, a sales perspective, who's taking care of the customers. I think, um, you know, it's pretty common sense, but so often I see people miss it when they find themselves in a challenge, is just bringing incredible people on board. So we, we generally start off by spending a lot of time looking over their team and making sure that they have the right building blocks in, in place. And then it transitions from looking really at their team to looking at their process. And I think this is where what I do is a little bit different. Um, I don't come in under the impression that I'm going to be commanding or delivering here's how you must do things or have to do things or externalizing what I think uh, has to happen. Generally, man, what I do is I sit down and I look at all the data that they give me and try and figure out, are they managing the data the right way? Are they looking at the right data inside of their sales process and their customer success process? And are they actually making hypotheses and assumptions to speed up their sales cycle, increase their average contract value, improve their customer NPS? So we spend a lot of time just diving into the data. And those are the really the two places that I spend the most time in the beginning. Do you have the right team on board? And are you looking at the data the right way? If you're doing both of those things, it's a really good foundation for, for high growth. I like that. That's a really easy kind of value prop to, to take to someone, right? People, and then you're measuring and looking at the right things. Mm-hmm. Is it chicken and the egg? Is it one before the other? Is there one that's more important than the other? I mean, are they the same? What's your, what's your philosophy as you look at that stuff? Yeah, I, I think um, it, it is one is a, a bit more important than the other, and I think that's great people. I think that you can have the, the world's best process, um, but if you don't have great people to execute it, I, I think that you can get far, but not as far as you can get if you have great people executing a great process. And again, I know that's common sense and everyone says, yeah, of course we want to, we want great people. But when I start digging into the process for bringing great people on board, I often find that that is not the way that it should be, that it's broken, that there's not a, an interview guide. There's not a scorecard that you're iterating and getting better on. You're not identifying, you know, the major characteristics and traits of your top people and then using those characteristics and traits to go out and find more people like that. So I take some of the same process driven or data driven approach I use in measuring sales metrics into their interview process and into their candidate process. So we can make sure that the team they're building is as good and as streamlined as the processes that they're building. And when you combine those two things, to me, that's what we did really well at patient pop, awesome people, really good processes. And when those two things came together, it was a, you know, it was, it was high growth. 
So let's talk about that. I think you're right. I, I love how you said that. We had a recent guest on the show, and you may or may not have heard what he said, but I love it. This will be the second time we're repeating it. He said, Rob, if you got a duck and you try to coach that duck and turn it into an eagle, I can promise you, you will never get an eagle. All you're going to get is a pissed off duck. <laughs> and, and I love that statement. I've never forgot uh, Lance Tyson uh, shared that with me. And um, so I think there's truth to that. I think that coaching, you know, I'm a believer in coaching. I think coaching has a lot to do with everything. Yep. But I, I love how you say you got to get people first. So everybody would say, yeah, of course, we're, we're not going to hire the dregs of humanity. Or of course, we have the best. How do you, I, I got to think this is one of those things that's easy to say, hard to do. Any observations you've had or things that you're sharing with your clients, what are things you better be like paying attention to if you're really going to be building a world-class people acquisition uh, 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 engine, I guess? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I think number one, it's to understand what are the people in your business who are successful today what do they look like? Like, not what do they physically look like, obviously, but like, what are the criteria and characteristics that they have? And so here's something that I, I see people do early stage that doesn't um, make it to maybe the mid or later stages, and it needs to, which is they start out with this ideal of an, uh, this idea of an ideal candidate, whether that's an SDR or an AE or a sales manager. You know, they sit in a room and they say, oh, you know, well, Greg's really good and Sarah's really good. Um, what do they have that's common between the two of them? Great. Here are five characteristics we think are excellent. Let's go out and uh, build a, an interview scorecard and let's align our questions to those criteria. And that's all well and good. But over time, your business changes. And as you go through stages from, you know, raising your seed round to an A round into hyper growth, maybe you're going B, C, you, your team is changing, your company is changing, your growth targets are changing. So where I often see people miss in sort of this candidate funnel is they, they, they forget to go back and reevaluate whether or not they're keeping their candidate uh, criteria uh, and performance up to speed as their company changes. So yes, maybe Greg and Sarah were great when you had three salespeople. People, but now you have 20 salespeople. Has the criteria changed? Has what you've seen in terms of soft skills and hard skills that translate to success change? And if you're not like looking at those things and reevaluating those things at least once a quarter, suddenly without warning, because you have so much other stuff on your plate, you're going to veer off course. So what I always just recommend is it's someone's sheer responsibility to make sure that you're updating the way that you bring talent onto your team every single quarter. And if you do that, then I think you'll continue to, to hire really, really high growth individuals. And, and that's, that's what we did at Patient Ball. I really like that. That's a super good uh, framework, I think. It makes me think of another question, though. I'm, I'm, I, I try really hard to put myself in the shoes of the listeners. you got a couple thousand people listening to you just in the first week alone of the show. Yep. And I, I, I'm, I'm asking myself right now, okay, so here's my first question. Does that mean I've got to replace everyone in my sales team uh, every stage or is what percentage of your sales team can grow with the company? Should I plan? I mean, what, what should I plan on if I'm that kind of sales? Yeah, yeah it's a great question. And I think um, you're going to find that the, the percentage of people that can grow with the different stages of your business is often tied to the expectations and goals that you've set when they come on board. So let, let me, and let me give you a, a sort of a description of what I mean by that. When I went out and hired the first salespeople at Patient Pop, I was very short-term in my approach. 
right? My, my goal was to get really top-notch salespeople. So I went out and said, like, come on board. You want to come on and sign doctors up, and it's going to be great. You're going to make lots of money, and we're going to give you a little bit of equity, and that's, you know, going to be fine and dandy. Um, but what I didn't paint was the long-term vision of their career inside of our organization as a chain. Uh. So <clears throat> what I found as I grew as a leader was – a lot of what I could tie to why people stayed with us for so long, and we very rarely lost top performers, is because we went out and we painted a long-term vision of what it meant to grow within our business. So you might come on as an SDR today. What does your career look like? 12 months, 24 months, 48 months, 72 months from now, if you stay here at our business? What skills do you learn? You know, what, where can you grow? What responsibility can you take on? How can you increase your total earnings? And I think one thing that you can do is lay that foundation early. And that way, if you do it, you'll, you're likely to attract people who like the long-term mission and who like the long-term outlook of growing inside your business. If you do that, you're just much less likely that you'll have to turn over people as your company grows and changes. That's also super insightful. And then then it gives me another question. We're going down a rabbit hole together, uh, Justin. I hope it's okay. Because I love this. Well, that's one of the reasons I wanted you to come back. You're one of the people we've had on the show that has so much depth. And we've been fortunate to have good guests like you that can go deep on on topics like this. Sure. So so as you have someone and you're laying out this, you know, well-lit pathway to success. As I listen to you, the words I wrote down on my notepad was a well-lit pathway for success Mm -hmm. management. Okay. Yep. I loved how you said it's like a 12 month, it's a 36 month, it's a 24 month plan, but then you also said skills. What's, what's more important? Is it time and job or is it skills you acquire? Is it some blend of those? How do you balance those? Uh, I know you'll have some people that like want to move fast and maybe are impatient. How, how important is time and position, time and territory versus, uh, development of skills and ability to not just do them, but teach others? Yeah, it's a, it's a fine line, right? Um, and, and here's why. I think ultimately a lot of folks want to move fast. Uh, but I think those who are self-aware also recognize that acquiring skills that are necessary to move to the next role is really, really important. So as a leader, it's really your job to identify what is the, the time bound? Like, what's the time frame for, if you want to use an example, Rob, let's just use SDR, right? Like, yep. what, is the, what is the time based on how we've watched other candidates move through this, this role where they will, A, get enough experience, and B, pick up, pick up enough skills so that when they move on to the next role, whether that's senior SDR or account executive or whatever, that there's a high degree of likelihood that they'll be successful. And I, I look at this in a process-oriented way the same way that I look at everything else. I look at all the people who have gone through the process in this example from SDR to AE I plot them out and I look at the commonalities between those folks. You know, why did Liz and Julia and Brad make the move in six months? Why did it take Ryan eight months? Like I start looking at those folks on paper and trying to see commonalities between them. And by finding those things, 
I can go back and say, okay, here comes Sarah. She's moving through the SDR uh, program. From a soft skills, hard skills, performance, she looks a lot like Julia. So we believe that, you know, she can make the move in six months, and we're going to put her through this boot camp and this test to make sure that our assumption and our hypothesis is correct. So I, I do a lot of the same process-oriented stuff that I might do when I'm looking at sales metrics or customer journeys. I just uh, apply that to um, to sales hiring and promotion as well, uh, that, that drives really the entire way that I run my business is, is commonalities and looking back at, at historicals. So I love that. And, and it makes it seem like you have this awesome system rather than trying you, you probably don't feel like you're at a racetrack picking horses, you know, which sure. one looks good. You actually have a system for doing that. There's a lot of work that goes into that. There's a lot of intentional things you've done that go into that. How common is that? You work with a lot of companies now. You're starting to see other organizations. Before you started your business, you probably had a whole bunch of people reaching out just wanting to talk to you. Is it yep. the rare thing to see that, or is that pretty common to see that? Super rare. That's um, what I think, too. And, yeah. and, and so if, like, if you're not doing it in your business, you, you don't have to be bummed out, right? It's a change right. that you start, you can start making tomorrow. And I generally will ask a question of a founder or a sales leader right up front. First time we sit down, I, I ask this question. Hey, when you interview somebody for a new role, what's the process for deciding as a team whether or not that person moves forward? Is it an interview criteria and scorecard that you guys all fill out? And then if they made a minimum threshold, you move them forward? Or do you guys come out of a room? Do you look at each other and say, Eh, what do you think? Uh, I don't know. What about you? Eh, thumbs up. Okay. It's always that, isn't it? That. It's always that, isn't it? And that's basically what I see at nearly any seed stage, A stage, and even into some of these like longer and, and, and better growth stories where, yeah, they're growing and yes, things are working. But if they were able to identify this ideal candidate profile and be really crisp about the way that they brought them on board, I think they would have better results. And these are probably people that have a different ICP, an, an ideal customer profile, but they don't have that for the talent is what I'm guessing. Totally. And, and, and the, the interesting thing is it's actually not that hard to get started. Like the way that I got started with this process was from a book that I think I mentioned last time I was on here, which is the sales acceleration formula by Mark Roberts, the former CRO at HubSpot. I mean, he makes it easy. I think he's got five criteria. If I remember him, it's like coachable, curious, intelligent, strong work ethic, and prior performance. And he just simply attached a score to each one of those things, aligned questions to each one of those criteria, and then as he learned more about the people he hired over time, he adjusted the weighted average of each of those skills based on what he learned and how they, they played into performance. So it's that easy. Just like throw five or six skills, start there, make some assumptions, iterate over time and use your data to get better and more accurate with your hiring. Start tomorrow. That's an awesome tip. That's a great tactic. I don't think that you did share that book last time, but we didn't have this kind of a killer conversation around having a, a talent process. I love it. Yep. So that's the first chunk of this interview or this episode you and me have talking shop today is Create a people process. I like it. Start today. It costs you nothing. It's some time and it's putting smart heads together and figuring out how do we get more that looks like this and less that looks like this, right? Yep, totally. Absolutely. You nailed it. Okay. Let's get on to the second part of your building blocks, uh, the data. I loved uh, one of the things I wrote down when you were talking to me was, you know, what do you gather and then how do you use it? Those are two really interesting ideas. I, I'm going to share one of my, my business hypotheses. I found that data doesn't change behavior ever. 
people have to change behavior. And sometimes we think because we have the data that we can now be great coaches or we can do things, but it's what you do with it. Can you talk about both? How do you know if you're gathering the right data? But I think more importantly, what are some best practices for how we freaking use the data? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the way that I try and start with data is the simplest data points that I can use to have a strong impact, right? I'm sure you've seen those sort of axes before, those axes where um, one is like um, what you get out of it and the other is like effort you put into it. So what are the really simple pieces of data that we can measure and get tremendously improved performance just by measuring them? And then of course, coaching against them. So let me give you an example of, of some data that I love to understand when I walk into an organization for the first time. And by the way, often don't see it being measured. So that that's problematic. So the first thing that I'll usually look at, Rob, is just simply their sales stages. What are your different stages of the customer buyer's journey from the moment they interact with your brand through a piece of marketing or where they come from all the way to being implemented and then being taken care of by your customer success team? There are so many different metrics inside of that journey. You can start anywhere. From a revenue or sales leadership perspective, I like to start with some pretty simple ones. What's the conversion rate between the amount of demos I have scheduled and those folks that actually show up to talk to one of my salespeople? What's the conversion rate between the conversations that we have and the amount of people who sign on the dotted line? And then what's the time between those stages? So I think oftentimes people are so worried about conversion rate from showing up or winning when time is also so important. If you can reduce the amount of time it takes someone to go through your journey, you can do more things inside of a month or more things inside of a quarter, get more customer wins inside of a year. So oftentimes the first thing that I'll do is I'll plot those things out and I'll start looking at the time-based and the conversion rate-based. That's step one. Step two is, especially if I'm in a new vertical that I'm not as familiar with, like as, as I am healthcare, I start looking at what are the best practices inside of this vertical at other companies that look similar to the company that I'm currently working with. How do you get that? So uh, there's a bunch of different places you can go. For me, it, you either use industry reports that you can find online, or I would go and I would chat with a peer. So I'm fortunate enough today um, to, to have a good peer group. I, I'm a part of something called the Revenue Collective, which is yep. 600 global revenue leaders across the, across the world. But even if I wasn't, a simple cold email on LinkedIn, right? A simple reach out via cold call. Hey, working with this company, trying to get a quick understanding, you know, can you give me 15 or 30 minutes? I'll send you over a Starbucks gift card. Like I'm happy to do that kind of stuff. Like I'll, I'll, I'll hack like getting the data that I need out of somebody. And um, if I find that data and it doesn't align or it's wildly off in certain areas with the customer that I'm working with, that's usually where I'll start. So let's pause on that. I want to, I want to pause just because I think I want to give a shout to Revenue Collective. I think it's a great organization. People that aren't in it, would you recommend it consider uh, being part of things like that? Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. It's probably, probably the best money I spend every month. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm a fan of that group. I also think uh, another one that, that uh, you don't have to uh, pay money for, I like, like, like groups like Modern Sales Pros. That's a good place to throw out. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Modern Sales Pros, AAIS, uh, ISP, any, any organization where you can work with, with peers who are talented and are looking to further their career, I recommend joining. That, that's what I do. Yeah. I like, I like to network online. So that's where I'll get a lot of my information and, and where I often find, find the information I need to be successful. 
So you gave me a couple of pieces of data that I thought were good ones to share, and I'm glad you did. Some of them are volume metrics, and some of them are conversion metrics. Yes. Um, and you started to get into my favorite kind of metric, uh, the productivity type metric, and I would put the speed in a productivity type metric category. Totally. Do you see, I mean, how do you balance those? Volume, conversion, productivity metrics. If you're going to be a high growth sales leader, you know, how important yeah. are those three? How do you balance them? Where should you emphasize? Any thoughts around those things? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think this is where um, I like to think is my strongest point is I don't come in with a strong opinion, which may oh. sound back, may sound backwards. Like you might be like, oh, you know, I thought this was going to be your, your real strong suit. Well, uh, to be honest, I'll take a look at each of those metrics. And let's say you're looking at a close rate. It's 25%, but you learn that in the financial uh, industry, it should be closer to 35%, right? So you're off 10%. But I'm also looking and saying, oh my gosh, this customer journey is 45 days long. Other similar companies are, are telling me they, they move customers through it in 25 days or 20 days. So uh, I think uh, an average or, or a sales leader who wants to own the room and own the command of the next step will often go out and gunsling or use anecdotes and say, I've always been taught it should be X first, or I believe it should be Y first. Me, I let the data tell the story. If improving the close rate from 25 to 35%, I run an analysis on that. I run a model using everything else being constant. What would happen if, if this close rate changed? Then I back out of that and I restart the model. What would happen if I reduced the sales cycle by half from 45 down to 20 or 25, like I talked about in this example? Right. And oftentimes I'll leverage a financial peer or somebody who's much better at running Excel models than I am and say, hey, based on these results, which one has the higher impact? And they might come back and say, well, actually, man, if you improve these close rates and everything else stays the same from a time perspective, you're way better off than if you were to just move the time perspective. Well, great. That's where I'll start. I let the data educate me and tell me what to do and where to start. So that has always been my, my way that I approach things as a sales leader is to let the data educate me and to follow what the data tells me. So this is going to resonate with you because you've been working selling to doctors. You've been in the healthcare industry for a long time. Yep. Uh, so what you're telling me is you like to diagnose before you prescribe. Totally. I exactly. I, I could have saved you all that talking and just uh, said uh -huh. that. Uh, yeah, that's that's exactly how I approach it. <laughs> I'm 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 just I'm getting tired of people prescribing constantly yeah. without having the appropriate information to make a diagnosis, and you can see it happening in real time because you're just wondering how is this person making this decision when they don't know anything about the data. So for you as a chief sales officer, or chief revenue officer, or VP of sales, or or, or whatever. Um, you're talking to me right now at a team view. I think the same thing you're talking about, about applies though at the individual one-on-one -on -one coaching view as well. I, I, let me tell you my, my opinion. I want to share with you kind of my point of view on what you've been talking about. I'd love to hear yours and sure. you agree. It's totally cool, but I, I'm really interested in this. I believe that reps, individual reps, they just don't give a shit about what their company averages or team averages are. Theirs is, what do I have to do? What makes me better at me rather than me more like the company? And I think that your, your ability to be a, a really high-impact leader comes from your ability to diagnose uh, and individually prescribe for each rep rather than in kind of sweeping generalities. Any thoughts about that and, and, and then what you do about it? 
Yeah, a hundred percent. I think it's, I think it's really important to, so first of all, let me say that I agree with you. Um, I think it's really important to understand at a rep level what motivates each, each person. Okay. And I think oftentimes new sales leaders will come in and make an assumption that the same thing uh, motivates everybody on their team and sort of paint with a broad brush. And they, 100%, Justin, 100%. And the one that I see most common is just like cash, right? Oh, all salespeople are money-driven. And I've actually found over the last five years of building up this patient pop team that, yeah, sure, people like money, but more often than not, it's something different than money. It's growth, it's leadership, it's exposure, it's, it's all these different things. So anyways, I think it's really important to understand what that is. And then for you as a leader to get together with your management team or your, your team of sales leaders and start to understand how do I coach someone towards what their ultimate goal is using the data that I've uncovered. So for instance, let, let me give you an example. Um, you might tell someone, uh, improve your win rate. Well, yeah. <laughs> yes, that's, that's helpful. Like that's okay, great. How do I, first of all, how do I do that? And all these other questions, right? But what if you go a level deeper and you find out that this person is actually much more interested in moving on to your enterprise team in the course of their career? That's what they, they want to shoot for. So rather than just telling them to increase their win rate, maybe you couple the increase in win rate with an increase in average contract value. Because now you're going out and you're saying, listen, I've heard you. You know, Dan, I know you want to be on the enterprise team. Uh, the enterprise team closes deals that are four times bigger than our SMB team. So here's what I'd like to do to work with you. I'd like to target these deals that are slightly bigger, and I'd like to see an improvement in your win rate across those deals. And if you can work to do that and we can coach together to show improvement there, this will be the first opportunity for you to show or prove that you're ready to start moving in the direction that you want your career to head, which if, if I heard you correctly is enterprise, Dan, isn't that right? Yes, perfect. So that's different than a metric that you might work on with somebody if they want to transition to customer success long-term. Yeah. I've had salespeople who say, I want to work from sales and move into customer success. Great. Let's improve your customer NPS score. Let's reduce your churn. Let's set better expectations. There are so many things that you can tie to someone's growth goals, and they are much more likely to be receptive, be open, and be excited by those things. That, that's my opinion and take on it. I love your opinion, and I agree with you, by the way, so thank you for, for uh, sharing that. One one more step on that, I guess, to kind of close the loop on this, and we'll kind sure. of move to the next one because there's there's one more kind of topic. We did your two building blocks, and I want to get into one more before we start to run out of time. Um, I believe there's far too many spreadsheet coaches. I think we have people that have more accessibility to data than ever before. To your point, A, is it the right stuff? Because I think sometimes we get so much data that we don't know what to do with it because we, we actually measure too many things, in my opinion, sometimes. Yep. Second – Applying people to spreadsheets, I just don't think that that inspires anyone. And, uh, and I just want to just close the, close the loop on this conversation. Your thoughts around, you know, having that, around that concept of spreadsheet coaching in general rather than yeah. individualized coaching. Any, any final thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that, I think that this is again somewhat of a fine line. I think it's really important that as from a leadership perspective, both your VP, your C-suite, your, your sales leaders, they understand the metrics that are most crucial to your business. They need to know them. They need to understand why they're, they are important so that if they need to move certain metrics or pull certain levers, they can do that. I want to say that as, as a number one sort of starting point. But that doesn't mean that you metrics dump 
all over your sales team, right? So what I like to do is let's be educated across the leadership department. And even to the extent that you want to educate your salespeople, that's fine. But what I'd rather see is a salesperson's autonomous ability to to scope out how they're going to improve. So rather than me throw 20 metrics at them and say like, tell me where you're going to get better and how you're going to get better is actually not to throw any of those metrics and to sit down with them and say, Hey, Sonny, you know, last month you did a really good job, 90% to, to quota. Um, you know, you want to get, I know you told me you want to make X amount of dollars. You want to get promoted and you want to move your career forward. You know, where do you want to end up next quarter? Oh, I'd like to end up at 120%. Cool. Rather than me tell you what metrics to focus on, why don't you go home this week and work on a business plan that you think will get you to your 120%. We'll come back at the end of the week. We'll review it together. Often what you'll find is your reps actually know how to get there without you dumping a bunch of metrics on them. It's them discovering them, that them being proactive about that, and then you holding them accountable to what they discovered, I think will ultimately lead them to their wins. Yeah, and you know, I'm sorry, I told you we'd get off this. That was such a good way to end this. It reminds me of one of my favorite topics, uh, Justin. I believe data, when it relates to developing people, is the content. And sometimes we're so worried about the content that we forget to do what you just did in your example of moving someone to uh, customer success or coming up with a business plan. You just rattled off three really cool examples on this conversation we're having. I believe the best thing you can do as a leader is wrap context around what the content of the data is. And the more contextual you can be, now, Gary Vee's famous for saying, if content is king, context is God. I believe we have to be, we have to be able to be contextual with our reps or else it's, it's worthless. Totally. A- absolutely. I think, I think a few things. You gotta add context and I think you gotta keep it simple. And that's not me suggesting that reps can't handle things that are complex because I've worked with plenty of extraordinarily intelligent, highly complex sales reps, but sales in and of itself can go many different directions with the metrics you have at your fingertips. Oftentimes the answer is simple. And so if reps can proactively and autonomously find that simple answer, I just believe they are more likely to follow it should they self-discover it than if you throw it at them. So that's what we let people do. Then we're going to leave it at that. So we've talked about uh, a system for getting people. We've talked about looking at data the right way. And by the way, killer nuggets, killer advice. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rob. I want to go to something that may surprise some of our listeners that we're going there. We haven't talked about this on the show much. You and I have had a couple of times that we've talked about it. I want to talk about the importance of maintaining balance and maintaining a sense of who you are. And listen, this job that we're in, it will take every single thing we let it have. And you and me have had the conversation. It's important to hold on to a piece of yourself. How do you do that and still be an ass-kicking sales leader? Yeah, that is something um, that I am still a work in progress on, right? And I think that's what makes it so challenging is even when you're having a lot of success, it doesn't necessarily mean that you figured out that balance. And so right. I'm attempting to. So here's sort of some of the things um, that, that I've done. Uh, the first thing that I've done is, and this happened about a year ago when I was still at Patient Pop, was I started taking two days a week at home. And this wasn't to pet my dogs or spend extra time with my wife. Like as much as I love doing those things and I do do those things, um, it was really to maintain an atmosphere where I could complete projects 
and long-term things that I was working on outside of the evening or early morning hours. So what I had found early in my career is I was letting others dictate my schedule. I started dictating my own schedule as I grew into the role and making sure that I completed my work inside of the hours of nine to five, right? Now, with that being said, in my role and in your role and in a lot of other leadership roles, sometimes you got to grind, right? Sometimes you got to go till nine, till 10, till 11. But I think it's really important that you're analyzing the way that you spend your week and you're carving out time with your family and your friends. So the other thing that I did, Rob, was I kind of scoped out times when I wouldn't have electronics. So my wife and I like to walk a lot. We walk about eight to 10 miles each day. We do it early morning, late evening, and over lunch. And I made a commitment that when we went out and walked, we spend a good two and a half hours a day, I do it phone free. Awesome. Having great having great conversations, connecting with one another, talking about our days totally uninterrupted. And then maybe the last thing that I've really been working on personally is reducing things that uh, put me in a in a place that I don't feel super happy or excited. So for me, Rob, one was alcohol. So I, uh, you know, I was stressed out about my job and about my life and about my career. And I do what I did, what a lot of people did, which was drank wine, right? You come home, bad day, long day, crack open a bottle of wine. Like, I think a lot of people are embarrassed to talk about that. I'm not. Um, it's just what, it's what happened. And before I, I knew it, I was drinking a little bit too much wine. So I've made a commitment to take a lot of time off, you know, drinking wine and beer. I just did another 30 days alcohol free. Congratulations. Thanks, man. Really, really making sure that like when I was with my wife and the computer was shut down, that she had, you know, you. my, uh, she had me exactly. So th- th- those are, those are three things that I've been doing to help balance myself out a little bit. So this, this has been something that it, it doesn't just affect you. What I, I'm grateful to guys like you that are, that are highly successful, that are willing to be public and say, these are things I got to worry about. My friend Mark Smith has had similar conversations with me. I myself am going through some challenges because I got the balance out of whack and it was, you know, be at the office at, five in the morning and stay here till one in the one o'clock in the morning, you know, not sleeping all in, you know, first in last out, you know, so much commitment. I'm telling you, man, our job is super important and it's also super intoxicating, but I think that we have to be super aware of that because you got to be a balanced person. I think that you have to be more than just a work person. I think, I mean, is that a, is that make, is that a true statement? Disagree? Uh, totally true. Totally true. And like, listen, uh, like if I, if I'm sitting here and saying like, Oh, you know, I work nine to five to get where I'm at today. That would not be truthful. Right. right. That would just not be truthful. I've worked my butt off like yep. many, many hours for many years, but at some point you're going to burn out. And so I always picture myself, I'm 38. So I'm relatively young. Right. And, and I, I always picture an investor sitting across from me. And if I want to go out on my own and raise money or build a business, what do you think they would find most appealing? Me saying, I work really hard, but I get a lot of sleep. I'm really well oiled machine. I hire great people. I'm laser focused, but I also spend time with my family or I work 20 hours a day, drink a crap ton of wine every night that I get home and yeah, have yeah, yeah, yeah. three hours of sleep. No, no investor is wants to invest in hustle 24-7, I'll sleep when I'm dead. They want to invest in people that are going to be well-rested and execute ruthlessly. That's what I want to be. And so I make sure that the things I'm doing every day are aligned with becoming that person. 
Yeah, I, I, I've actually put a name on what I'm trying to do, Justin. I'm calling it Jepson 2.0 right now. And, and, you know, what do I do for my health? What do I do for my mind? What do I do for my relationships? Of course, still, what do I do for my business? It's I've tried to be far more intentional and, and create a Jepson 2.0 approach. And I think that's something that we have so many people that are saying high growth, high growth, high growth. Do it, do it, do it. I don't see enough leaders like you willing to say, guys, take care of yourself while you're doing it or else it's not worth it. Totally. And, and you'll know as a human being when it's time to buckle down and like get back into the grind mode. There are days, and I'm sure one will come up here for me in the next few weeks, where I got to just bust butt for 20 hours a day. Like it's just, just going to happen. But I would prefer that it wasn't every day until – you know, I'm wearing myself into the ground and suddenly I'm no longer the leader that my team or my family or, or my peers need me to be. So th- that's the lesson that I've learned. All right. So those are the three kind of topics I thought we'd talk about. I, I want to just kind of do a little open mic at the improv with my, with what, who I think is one of the, the very best leaders in, in sales now. Thanks. What do, you, what do you think as you look at the sales leadership world? What is the biggest challenge that uh, you see sales leaders uh, grappling with right now and, and, and what, what would you suggest they do about it? Yeah, I think, boy, that's a great question. And I'm going to, I'm going to come with something that's been top of mind for me. Okay. Um, I often see sales leaders or even early stage founders who don't yet have a sales leader really leaning heavily on, on activity and efficiency based technology of, by the way, by, by the way, I use those technologies, so I'm not suggesting that they don't work, but using them in a way that they, I don't believe they were intended to use, meaning they're using them to get better at sales overall rather than spending the time coaching their people. And because there's so much technology out there, I feel like sales leaders who are so busy often turn to a tool or technology to take the place of coaching rather than as, as something that aligns with the way they should be coaching that helps amplify the way that they coach. So to me, it's, it's this fine balance of not leaning entirely on technology to be your sales leadership team and instead using technology to amplify what you're already doing. And I think if you, if you go the former, you're in for disappointment. I think if you go the latter, you're in for steadily improved results. I love that, dude. The reason I ask that question is, A, the respect I have for you, and B, I believe that so much has been invested in sales and salespeople, but I think we're only just starting to scratch the surface on what's being made available for sales leaders. That's why I believe your business is going to be very, very successful, because sales leaders need help. And, and I was very interested in you know what's facing that big challenge, and I, I think you nailed it. That's a great challenge. Yep. So if, if you would say to these leaders that given what you think the best challenge is, if there's one thing that you get right, because, you know, you can't do everything right at the beginning. Like they're all not you. They haven't been doing this like you have. If you're going to get one thing right, and I don't want you to say the right people because we've already talked about that and yep. you've done a great job. If there's one thing you're going to get right, what would you say? Consider it as this. Uh Interesting. Let's see. I, I've got. Sorry, man. I've, I know no, I didn't. Hear you no, it's, no, it's totally fine. I'm. I'm. I'm actually want to. I want to give you a really good answer. So, 
there are there are two things, Rob. Yep. One one is directly related to the way that you manage your sales team. Okay. The other one is the position you put yourself in as a sales leader. So I'm going to start with the one about the position you put yourself in. Okay. If I could do one thing, and I, I think I did this successfully at both of my stops on, on my career over the last 10 years, was I picked a business that I truly loved. And what I mean nice. by that is the, the two businesses I worked for, ZocDoc and Patient Pop, had the intersection of all these special qualities, great people, great leaders, great product, great environment. And the intersection of all of those different things put me in a space where I could thrive. And I didn't pick the job because of money. I didn't pick the job because of equity. I picked it for all these different reasons that aligned well to put me in a position to thrive and grow. So the first one I would say is pick a great job at a great company that you're excited about. Like that, that'll make the whole difference in your career. And then I would say once you're into a sales leadership role, the one thing that I would focus on is a reduction in ad hoc decisions a reduction in gunslinging or I think or I feel or I believe type decisions and instead an increase in allowing the data to tell you what decisions to make and to be okay with being wrong if it's different than your original assumption. So that is like something I teach everyone who worked for me at Patient Pop is don't pick something and then hope the data proves it out so you can be Mr. or Mrs. Right. <laughs> yep. Just listen to the data and follow the data to the next best choice. If you do that, the outcomes will be there, and that will show that you're a very, very effective sales leader. Okay. This was awesome. We're, uh, we're running out. I want to get out of this the same way that I get everyone now. We're, we're, we're a lot more established as a show than when you helped me on episode two or three, dude. And, uh, <laughs> So I finish everything, and, and if you answer the last one the way we did before, that's great. That just means you still like it. Uh, rapid fire, three questions. You ready? I am. Okay, biggest sales leadership challenge, and how do you beat it? And you already kind of talked about it, so it's all right. <laughs> yeah, that use of data probably is what you talked about. Yeah, yeah. biggest sales leadership for me uh, thing is, is people getting out of the ad hoc and the anecdotal yep. and over to the data side. We already talked about it, so let's keep going. Yep. This is one I'm really excited about. This this is one that we started about about six months ago, and we've got a a killer list of these. Yep. You talk so much about uh, uh, picking talent. Our our listeners have asked Rob, ask your, your hosts, I mean your guests, what's their favorite uh, interview question or their kind of go to interview tactic, and and how do you use it when you're interviewing? Yeah. Us? Yep, I like to get out of the tricks and get into understanding what people truly need to be successful. So my favorite question to ask people is, what is the type of support that you need in a role like this in order to be successful? Describe that support to me. Mm. You'll get a good insight on, on kind of their knowledge of their self and how well through they thought through their process when you hear that too. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, last one. This is a repeat. You've already answered this. It's fine if you're the same. Leaders are readers. What are the things that, that you ought to recommend, you ought to be putting in your head? I don't care if it's reading, audible, podcast. What's something you would suggest anyone listening, they ought to get their hands on or their ears on if they want to be a better leader? Atomic Habits by James Clear. That's a new one. I don't even uh, – I don't know that one. Yeah, it's a, it's a book all about – breaking down the things you do habitually into incremental changes so that you can positively influence the habits that you do and reduce the negative habits that you're a part of. Beautiful. 
All right, man, I can't believe it. That was uh, that was a 50-minute power session. Uh, we are lucky to have had you. I am so excited to keep in touch with you and hear about your journey as you start this new firm. Um, how do they get more of you, Justin? And we're going to have a lot of people want to keep the conversation going. How do they connect with you? How do they get some of your, your content? Because I believe it's killer. Your LinkedIn, your weekly update, and some of the free stuff you have on your website. How do they get it all? Yep. Easiest way is my website, which is theofficialjustin.com. That's theofficialjustin.com. Um, or they can follow me on LinkedIn. It's Justin Welsh. Welsh is W-E-L-S-H. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Justin Sass. That's Justin S-A-A-S. Okay. He is the dude that diagnoses before he prescribes. Uh, he has walked the talk. He can help you get uh, – an additional 50 million in ARR with a snap of his fingers, right? And, uh, and Justin, thanks so much for being good enough to be guest number two for the first time, right? And, uh, and happy selling, brother. Rob, thanks so much for having me on. Humbled and appreciated, man. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? I am so pumped that Justin Welsh is the first repeat visitor on our show. Uh, we've had just so many great ones, and it was just a, it was a natural to get Justin back on now that he's no longer with Patient Pop, and he's starting his his practice as uh, someone that's working with high growth sales leaders uh, all over the place. And honestly, I, I really love Justin's approach. I think he has so much depth. I think that what he's done, you can't argue with it. His results speak for themselves. And so for everyone that's in the uh, world of trying to have high growth be part of what they do, my advice is to start following uh, and interacting with Justin. Uh, he's, he's been a good resource for me. I'm a, I'm a big fan of what he does. And if, if I was to, like, put a label or a title on what I think this interview was, it's demystifying the sales leadership process. I think that he demystifies the process and he makes it simple. He's like, it's really simple. It's the right people doing the right process, and by process, we're, we're measuring data and the activities that they do. And it wasn't process get that nailed and then put people in. It's get the right people and then look for patterns to make sure that we have the right process, and away we go. And we don't need to overthink it. We don't need to overmeasure it. We do need to measure the right things, and we do need to execute uh, with consistency. But we don't have to get crazy about stuff. I, I really liked it. I thought it was simple. I thought it was you know, the kind of thing that resonated with me because you don't have to have a whole bunch of silver bullets and sneaky ratios and, and that kind of stuff. It was do the right things with the right people the right amount of time. It used data to measure if we're doing it well or if we need to improve it and if we do need to prove it where and to what degree. And, and I love that. In fact, what I think I would really say is my favorite thing that he talked about. There's, there's two things, I guess. The first one is he said, avoid, avoid, excuse me, avoid the gunslinger mentality. And this is that guy that comes in and says, she says, or he says, I already know what to do. I've done it. I've been here before. You know, do it my way. He said one of his greatest strengths is he doesn't come in with a strong opinion. I thought that was super insightful and that we should all take a note from that, that you don't need to come in with a strong opinion of how to execute. We come in with a strong opinion of let's get the data right. And let's get the people right. If we get the right people and we measure the right things, then we'll we'll just do what the data says to do. I really like that. I I, I have a metaphor a mentor gave me once. Uh, he actually gave me in a board meeting where he was talking about what he wants to see me do more of. He encouraged me to be more like a uh, an engineer in a locomotive of a train. 
And instead of being out in front of the train trying to kind of make the train go, and sometimes you're shoveling like crazy, putting coal in the engine, and sometimes you're keeping things off the tracks, he said, be this guy that's in there that's pulling levers. And if you can understand the impact of a small pull on this lever, what the impact will do to your speed or your ability to corner or your ability to successfully navigate, that's when you'll be successful as a leader. And that's what Justin was talking about. we got to make sure that we don't come in as a gunslinger that are making bets, uh, saying, trust me, I know what to do. It's let's trust the data and let's not be afraid to have our hypothesis or our suppositions be wrong. Uh, let's not try to look for what we want the data to show. Let's just evaluate what's going on and then we respond and we react quickly and efficiently. That's the first part. That leads me to my favorite uh, part of all, the second one that I was going to bring. He talked about the importance of being the, what I call the best version of yourself. You know, he shared some stuff about how he would manage stress and, and things that he's tried not to do. Like in his case, um, his idea of working on his health was let's wave off alcohol, and he's looking at it in terms of 30-day chunks. Uh, I, I, I look at the same thing. I'm looking at what do I do to help the physical version of myself, the intellectual version of myself, the professional version of myself. And I meant it when I said I am really actively working on Jepson 2.0. I, I found that pretty much every part of me needed to be fixed. Um, and part of it was because the professional was so overwhelming and so dominating, I let all the other parts slip. And I loved what he said. you got to be someone that does all things in some kind of balance that makes sense. Not because it just makes you healthy, but there was a business reason. It said so you can execute ruthlessly, was what he said. Are you setting yourself up that you can execute ruthlessly? And I don't think he meant ruthlessly in a negative term. I think he meant it with absolute focus, absolute commitment, and absolute understanding of why the way you execute is going to work. And you can't do that unless you are taking care of more than just the business. So I hope that's good. Don't be a gunslinger. Be the best version of yourself. And, and, and ultimately do what you love. I, I really thought, thought that was so good, you know. We, we do what we love. That makes it so we don't have to rely on tools to take care of things for us. We use tools that amplify how we develop people. Find the right companies where all those great things intersect. You know, I hope you can hear it in Justin's voice. He loves what he's doing right now. He's pumped with what he's doing. He is a difference maker for all of these customers that he's now working with. You need to do the same thing. Are you able to have that kind of passion and excitement? Because you love what you're doing. Um, do that thing that makes you the best version of you. And you will be able to execute ruthlessly. You will be able to do the things you need so you can have the data speak. You will not need to rely on gunslinging. And ultimately, you're going to have a lot better life. And here's what I found. When you live your best life, then you can do your best work. And so I hope that that's something that you take. If you don't follow Justin, do it. I promise you, you'll love his content. Uh, his LinkedIn weekly emails that go out are fantastic. He provides content every day. He's a, he's a must-follow resource. Justin, thanks for, for joining me. And to each of you, thanks for your, your feedback. Thanks for listening to the show. Keep uh, suggesting who you want to have on. Keep giving us those ratings. And as always, don't worry. Just execute because we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. 
The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exploit, the modern sales leadership platform for Salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.